Welcome to another episode of the Everything Aviation Podcast. On this podcast, we speak to pilots, cabin crew, engineers, and everyone in between. My name's Mikey, I'm a private pilot and a manager with a well-known airline. This week, we're talking to Ethan Sherry. Ethan is one of the youngest people to hold a pilot license in the United Kingdom and to fly an airplane solo. Sit back, relax, and enjoy Ethan's story. Ethan, it's good to see you again. How's it going? Not That's bad now and yourself. Ah, keeping the best, keeping the best, the usual. That's all I know. I hear there's a congratulations in order. You just passed your GST, general flight test, for anyone who doesn't know what that is. Passed my GST last Thursday, just about uh, a week, week and a half short, short of my 17th birthday due to coronavirus. But um, got there uh, sooner than I expected. Um, I've, I've done about two hours since uh, the lockdown's been uh, lifted now. Um, and on the second hour, I was out doing uh, just half the lesson was pre-GST uh, on my instructor. Just as we were turning on the final to land, uh, it turned around to me and said, you know, to go go and chat to the chief land instructor, go and chat to the RAF about doing GST. It just so happened that when I, whenever um, whenever I come in to land, RAF was, RAF was at the clubhouse, so I says to him, you know, uh, if you're free, let's go and do it. And without thinking about it, it was done, dusted and passed, and that was that. Deadly. Absolutely deadly. So tell us a bit about how... How you got into aviation and like what age did you get in? Because if my understanding is at the moment that you're, if not the youngest pilot in the United Kingdom at the moment. Well, started have had an interest in flying like most of us do. Or anybody that's interested in aviation really from a young age will have been interested from a very young age. Um, I, basically, I used to um, live beside a guy who owned a helicopter. Ever since I could pronounce happy, uh, that's whenever my love of aviation started. So. Um, Started flying uh, with people sort of whenever I was around 12, 13. Not that much, um, more in Cessnas, helicopters, that sort of stuff. Um, but then whenever I was 14, uh, I think it was actually July, yeah, so a few days after my 14th birthday again, my first flying lesson in a microlite. Um, from there, sort of was taking it easy because the regulations are that from 14 you can learn to fly or log hours, sorry. Um, in a microlight aircraft, um, 16 you can go solo in a microlight aircraft, and 17 you can receive your license. Um, so started flying just shortly after my 14th birthday, as I said. Uh, by the time I turned 15, I had about 15, 20 hours logged. Um, so it was, it was just about on the circuits. Though from within the year 15 to 16, it was a long year because I knew that whenever I turned 16, I could go solo. So um, it was just circuits. You have to get used to circuits because it's it's the main thing you'll be doing at any airfield will be joining the circuit. So it's it's a bit like uh, joining a traffic queue or joining a queue of traffic in a tra- traffic light system sort of thing. But you're round and round and round and round and in and out of the airfield just until basically you can't stick the airfield anymore and never want to fly again. But you get them, you get them this. <laughs> no, but... Um, Got, got a good few hours in there before my 16th birthday, uh, and then on my 16th birthday, the wind wasn't favourable for, for Tandrigi itself. Um, Tandrigi, anybody that's not familiar with Tandrigi, it's a very short um, airfield microlight strip, sort of on a hill. On one end, there's uh, nice trees to contend with on a windy day. Um, on the other side, uh, lovely high voltage power lines to fly into, or hopefully not. Um, but um, so took the aircraft from Tandrigi, uh that morning, the 16th birthday, I went down to Newton Arts, where at Newton Arts there's runways basically, and you can choose any runway which is favourable for the wind. 
So landed into to Newton Arts uh, with my instructor, normal landing, and he said we will taxi back to do a few more circuits. So I thought, oh great, no solo today, uh, just going to do more circuits again, which I've been doing about five or six hours of the previous week, so was getting quite sick of them. Um, so taxied back onto the runway, lined up, um, and my instructor said to me, I'm going for a walk. And I sort of uh, looked at him and thought, are you losing your head or are you actually going for a walk? And he lifted the radio, was out of the aircraft and said, good luck. So I took that as my key that I'm now going solo. So it um, wasn't really, you know, with different students, some students are nervous doing the first solo, some students are overconfident, and some students are just in between. But I didn't really, the way it was positioned on me, didn't really have time to think about it. So um, before I knew it, I was climbing out at about 3,000 foot vertically out of Newton Arts in the C-42. With one person up, but um, done the circuit. Uh, actually, done two circuits because the BBC arrived late and shouted at me for not being there for the first. Solo. Sorry, so, sorry. Did you just say the BBC? <laughs> well, we had the BBC and we had the news and we had all the all the media coverage of the day. Um, as Mikey knows well, well, well enough about himself. Um, <laughs> but so got the solo covered was was on the. Uh, the BBC website and then the local newspaper so it was a bit of a local celebrity had to come down off me high throne after about a week whenever everyone stopped giving a shit about me but um <laughs> so it's, it's funny because I understand exactly I've been, I've been in that position you know been in, been in the BBC 2 documentary myself and it's like you're a hero for about a week and then after that everyone's like yeah right shut up now we're sick of you <laughs> that's, that's the usual scenario anyone so anyone that wants to go stolen on the 16th birthday expect a week of fame and after that you go home and everyone will forget your name next week but um anyway yeah so between 16 and 17 it was just a matter of with the microlight um you have to do 10 hours solo flying which is consists of three hours cross-country flying uh, now the new syllabus has just come out so i think at the minute it's just one cross-country of 100 nautical miles with one off field landing um so it's sort of in the process of change at the minute, but um, so spent the year 16 to 17 um, doing basically all my solo hours, uh, flying with, with mates, etc., and just enjoying it. Um, so as I said, just after 17th birthday there, I've passed my GST, so at the minute, um, well probably not now, but I was for a while the youngest uh, solo pilot in the UK. Could potentially be the youngest license holder in the UK at the minute, but um, as I say, it's not really a big thing because there's that many talented young people, you know, aviators that are going solo. It's, you know, it's a normal thing to go solo on your 16th birthday. But um, as I said, with, with aviation or with flying, you'll get days that you can't wait to go flying, and you'll get days that you can't wait to go flying that morning and come home and think your instructor is an effort and think. You're never gonna get, you know, enter a plane again because you've had a bad Latin or you've had a bad lesson. But that happens. That will happen. You will, at some point, say, "I don't want to fly anymore." But that's where the dedication, uh, the passion for the for the sport comes in. Um, you know, never give up on something you want to do, and that's what I always pay forward now to younger students going for. You know, to keep up momentum get your lessons done, read through your, your notes, read through your notes for the previous lesson, learn the aircraft that you're flying, uh, 
you know, learn learn not only the, the physical, you know, flying of the aircraft, but also the theory, because the theory, the theory is a big part of the physical flying as well. You know, it, it definitely improves your, your wet, well, observation for weather, navigation skills, all that type of stuff. Um, but apart from that, you know, apart from all the complicated stuff, the lessons and stuff, once, you know, you're not doing that, it's a great atmosphere. So you're you're always making making new new friends at, at the flying club, always meeting new people. Um, I know I myself I started at the middle of fourteen, so it was two thousand seventeen, it's now two thousand twenty now. Um, and I'd say I probably know at least one person airfield in, uh, in Ireland, which is great because, you know, it's it's great contacts and personally myself <clears throat> you know, I'm I'm seventeen now. I um I'd be well, I'd like to think quite mature for a seventeen-year-old. You know, normal people would think sixteen, seventeen-year-olds. Oh, you'd be going out party and drink, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But I wouldn't be uh, into that at all. I'm more of a, you know, I'd rather go and sit at the flying club and drink tea and talk to sixty-year-olds and listen to their aviation stories about flying planes with one wing and landing planes after Spitfires and stuff in the war. And then I would go out, you know, to a rave party with my friends. That's just the way it is, I suppose, but um, no, as I say, any, any young people looking looking to do it, it's definitely achievable, it's a very good interest to have, um, you'll meet up new people, um, and I know, you know, some people, I know a lot of people that want, from a young age, to take it up commercially, um, but I, that's what originally I wanted to do uh, from a young age was my, my career path was to go and do commercial flying so for an airline so um i left school uh, june of last year after passing my gcse's just about a lot um english you know anybody that's any young people that you know in school are told that maths physics etc are an absolute essential for uh, being a pilot my answer to that is that's absolutely wrong I will say mass physics, all that type of stuff, are great to have. It's a great start point, but it's absolutely not necessary. Um, you know, but as I say, it's education, school education. It's it's good, uh, and it's good to have. And you know, I I left school before doing. I didn't do A levels, thinking that I was going to be on. You know, you don't need A levels to be a commercial pilot. Some airlines will prefer. That you have A levels um, in Mars, English, and uh, preferably science. Um, but as, as I say, you know, no airlines will require it, or very little airlines will require it. Some may. But uh, so I left school after GCSEs, going on to be a commercial pilot, um, continuing with microlight flying, a bit of PPL flying at the same time. I had passed all my PPL theory exams. Um, and then went for just a routine checkup in the, in the opticians uh, round about uh, say March time of this year, and everything was going fine. Eyesight was perfect, and then he pulled out the color vision charts, which are commonly known as Ishihara uh, plates, and it's basically people might know them as the the colored dots with the numbers in them. And basically, he pulled them out, and I could only read one or two of them. Uh, and that's when, when the optician was actually colorblind himself. But then um, he he said to me that uh, I could instantly be colorblind. So I knew from then 
that, that the color blindness might be might be a main factor of uh, becoming a commercial pilot. So I had booked myself in with, with a very good doctor. He's actually an aromatical examiner and specialises in the eyes, Dr. Adrian Corley over at the Aromatical Aviation Services at Heathrow. So that's, I think it was April time, went over to him for, for a CAD test. So that's, um, don't ask me what CAD stands for because I haven't a clue, but I know it's something to do with colours and eyes. Um, so it's basically a test where uh, a small coloured square will go across the screen side to side and you have to click basically where the coloured square goes. But for me, <clears throat> for normal people that aren't colourblind, it's basically a simple test. It's something you could do in primary school. But for me, I could see very little of, of the colour uh, coloured squares going across the screen. So I knew from then it wasn't really a good sign. Um, so long story short, I failed the, the CAD test. Um, quite a big margin on the the green red scale and actually was quite good at the the yellow blue scale which is absolutely irrelevant to being a pilot lucky me uh, but at this stage Ethan everything just seems stacked against a, a career in in commercial aviation um and yet you still every time I see you you're still smiling and you're still upbeat and stuff like how do you come out of that knowing that you, you might not be able to fly commercially with this. How do you come out and still be able to keep positive and, and keep smiling like you do? Well, it's it's always, I've always promoted uh, to be positive, a very, a very um, not somewhat, well, relaxed, but, uh, you know, in, well, I, I'm enthusiastic about, about I'm passionate about flying anyway. So, sort of, you know, once it found out that I may be colorblind, it was racking my head a month, you know, am I, am I not reading this, that and the other, getting mixed answers. So whenever I found out I failed it, I was actually quite relieved that I know, you know, for certain now. But at the same time, it was it, it was a, it was a big hit, um, you know, that I couldn't be a commercial pilot. But at the same time, there's always different options, you know. Anybody that that's in the same position, because I know ten percent of males, especially, are colorblind. Um, it's it's not you know I. I stopper you know it doesn't mean you can never fly commercially it never doesn't mean you can never be a pilot because that's not true you know the only restriction I have um, is you know commercial operations is under you know it, that, that means maybe airliner flights carrying passengers survey flights um, charter flights etc but because uh, I, I can't get a full class one medical which you need uh, to, to fly passengers, I am on a restricted class one, which means I can only fly at daytime, and I can't carry, I think it's more than eight passengers, so basically that, was not, that rules out airlines for me at the minute, but as I say, you know, that could change, because especially, uh, you feel sort of, you know, people in the position will feel unfairly treated, because pilots that maybe were colorblind back in 19, say, or even uh, 2010, uh, potentially, um, the colour vision systems were different. So, whereas a pilot that was colourblind in 2010 might have passed a simple test back then and is now a commercial pilot, the colour vision tests as been, are different now and you won't be that lucky. So, it's sort of unfair that way. But as I say, everything's changing in, in the world now, you know, even with coronavirus and all. You don't know what's going to happen next. Um, but it's always good to have a backup option, which I didn't have at the time. But uh, I'm now looking into becoming an instructor uh, and starting up hopefully my own business of some sort. So it's sort of um, 
school was never really going to be going to be uh you know i never really liked school or enjoyed school it was always for me flying and that was that was that basically that was all that was in my head so uh it's just trying to find different options and stuff which there is plenty of them out there um you know if you go to america for example you'll get a flying job every day at a week seven you know 24 7 366 days a week nearly out there because it just never stop um but it, it depends what sort of route you want to take after that but as i said for anyone in the same position never never give up on, on what you want to do and always always keep that in your view I, I admire that, Ethan. I think it's a fantastic outlook because um, I myself, I've I had a dream. I chased it. Um, again, I've never been academic uh, in, in in school. I didn't I didn't get fantastic results in school. Um, like like you said, it's not the be end and end all. I have a leaving cert, but never went any further for a degree or anything. Um, and I've no regrets with it really. Uh, maths, like you said, if you I, I could do do all the aviation stuff which is grand but yeah i know what it's it's just like to, to get close to your dream and then someone say look look don't don't bother you're not you're not going to hit this one um and i i love that about you is that you've you've come across this but yet you're still chasing it and you found different routes in and stuff like that so um is there, has there been any other kind of commercial jobs that, that you've looked at or any flying jobs as to say that you've looked at that, that you would go after well, as I say, there is, um, you know, there's a lot of commercial jobs that don't require uh, or don't involve passengers. So for the likes of, you know, aerial survey and uh, medical transport, um, uh, aerial survey and medical transport, you know, that's just within the local area that, that I've looked at within Woodgate Aviation, but uh, I'll go for Belfast here, um, is the main two. But as I say, you extend further afield in England, you know, Europe, America, there's a million and one other things you could be doing out there, you know, that maybe you won't. So as I say, Ireland, because it's such a small place, with aviation, there's a good aviation community in Ireland, but just maybe potentially not big enough for someone that wanted to pursue it commercially, not being, um, you know, uh, an airline pilot. So I definitely encourage looking further afield, i.e. England, Europe and uh, America, because you'll find plenty, plenty of opportunities, plenty of, um, you know, options as such, uh, and you never know what way life's going to take a turn for you. But as, as I said, or, you know, thought about what's not for you won't get past you type of thing. So obviously I didn't pass the colour vision for me. So, you know, there's always hoping something else might come up uh, or something better, you know, maybe I was never meant to be a commercial airline pilot. So you don't really know, but... Uh, it's, as I say, you know, I've got my pilot's license now for microlights. I can take friends up flying. I can enjoy flying. And, you know, I, I have quite a few friends that are <coughs> commercial airline pilots. And at the minute, they're, they're between a rock and a hard place because, as, you know, most people will know, the aviation industry at the minute is uh, sort of in, in the recycle bin in some parts. Um, but, but they're making a slow comeback. But uh, it depends what... You know, as I say, enthusiasm for for an airline pilot, if you're getting up at six or, you know, maybe four o'clock in the morning, going to work, flying all day, you're doing maybe, you know, England, back and forth, and then over to Spain, people would get sick of that very easy. And a lot of airline pilots have actually said to me, you know, it's not enjoyable that most people think, oh, airline pilot, you're flying all day. But you have to remember that you're flying an aircraft that basically flies itself and you're dealing with passengers and you're very much, you know, you're, you're very much 
a lot of people have put it um, a fancy bus driver. Um, but it, it, it is a great job. But for, for the enjoyment of flying, definitely, you know, fly microlights or fly group aircraft. But for anybody young, I'd recommend probably starting starting flying microlights because they're a great aircraft. You know, people think microlight and think some boys took a kite and sellotaped two polystyrene wings on it to go and fly it. But definitely not. You know, maybe back in the day it used to be the case, but now microlights are very, very advanced. You know, you can't tell the difference between a microlight and, and, and a, you know, a, a general aviation aircraft. Um, they're basically the same. Um, a lot of different variations of microlights. So it's, you know, a lot of different types of aircraft you can fly different places to go and you can get much further and a lot more places uh, in a microlight than you would in maybe, you know, a Cessna or, or a Piper or something like that. But, um, no, it's, def- it's definitely an enjoyable sport, for sure. It's brilliant. I, I have to say, I, I really do love it and, and I love having the license stuff. And like you said, you get to take your mates flying and I think the next ambition now is going, just like yourself, going for the instructor's rating and everything, which is, which is fantastic because then you can, you're something that you're that passionate about, you can then start teaching to the general public. Um, but going back, I've, everyone misconceives microlighting as a, I kind of want to say like a middle-aged man sport, um, which is a bit of a, bit of it, possibly like you said back in the days but at the moment yeah. there's there's more and more women say doing it as well but also there's yeah. more younger people starting to do it like myself yourself um and i had a i have a friend we've we've got a competition team going where the combined yeah. age in, in in the aircraft is just under 50 um but what what would advice would you give say young people who, who want to get into the sport or how how would they even start to even look to get into the sport well you know there's lots of different different options, but one thing I, I will say is it's definitely not a, you know an old man's club or a middle aged man's club. There's I know about maybe you know seven eight of my my friends that have generally taken up an interest in aviation uh, that are pursuing it at, at a young age around fourteen right up to eighteen you know that range. Uh, and I know with our club at Tandrigi down in Portadown, and uh, we have about eight or nine women currently training with us, a few ready for GST and solos, um, which is great to see. Um, so definitely a very mixed range of, of people participating in the sport. But for any young person or anybody looking to take up microlighting, the best thing to do is to, to go basically to your local flying school um, or local microlight school, get chatting to the people there. People that fly are normally very friendly. Um, you know, we'll, we'll give you the right advice. Um, but would always go and do a trial lesson. You know, even if you're afraid of flying, don't like flying, go and do it because it's it's just a completely different experience. And if it's not for you, it's not for you. But definitely at least experience it because the first time I actually went up on a microlight, um, I was a bit nervous because I, I originally started flying helicopters, which I don't know why I was nervous going on the microlight because a helicopter would kill you quicker than would look at you. But, um, you know, once I went up, I didn't want to come back down again. <laughs> just just go back in the helicopter thing. The best quote I ever heard from a helicopter pilot was, when they crash, they eat themselves. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, no, but nothing against helicopters also, because helicopters are a great machine. As I say, I have done about, uh, about 8 or 10 hours in a helicopter, and they are great for, for manoeuvrability and ag- agile and all the rest of it. You can drop them into your granny's backyard and go for a cup of tea and all the rest of it. 
but that cup of tea is going to cost you about 100 grand, you know. Um, helicopters are very, very expensive to run. As, you know, I'll go back to the microlight thing. Compare flying a helicopter or a general aviation Cessna to a microlight. Um, to buy a microlight, you're looking. Um, it depends what you want to buy. Mid-range microlight, you know, a good few hours on it, maybe. Um, but still a great aircraft. 20 grand, you know, 15, 20 grand would be a nice, a nice scary range or something. Or, as a lot of people do, shares an aircraft. Um, you know, maybe four people shares, two people shares. Um, you know, as many as I know, I know groups of, that actually have three microlights and there's 16 people in it. So the three aircraft between 16 people. So it's a great way to split costs and to keep costs down, you know, to own your own aircraft as such. But um, microlight flying is very cheap. Um, you know, a helicopter lesson that I was doing it was three hundred and sixty-five pound an hour, whereas a microlight lesson is one hundred and twenty pound an hour. So basically, for doing one hour in a helicopter, you're you're basically getting three hours in in a microlight. Yeah, and you know, with the three hours of microlight, even have a favour to let you know lesser fuel. So um, microlight, this it's going to cost you about depending. You know, I'd actually worked out my figures there recently. It cost me. Over a three-year time span, it cost me five and a half grand to get my license, which compared to most things, you know, for a PPL and Cessna's, etc., it's going to cost you about nine grand. And for a commercial, <clears throat> don't be put off by this by any means because there is funding out there available and ways of getting it. Uh, it's about 120 grand currently. Well, no, not even. It would be about, I think, in Cork, uh, they're doing for about 80 grand on a mentorship program of Ryanair for, for the commercial. Um but it's I wouldn't look at that as as a you know a big loan to pay off. I'd look at that as an investment because you're going to be a commercial pilot. You're going to be in quite a good salary, and you're going to be able to pay that back quite quickly. Um, but as I said, back to microlight. Microlights are very, very, very cheap compared to most things. Fly to run, you know, to maintain. There's not much maintaining needed for a microlight. Um, say you buy your own microlight, you're going to be running. You know, petrol. So most microlights run on petrol. So it's literally you pull up to the. To, now don't be doing this. Don't be pulling up to your local BP station and your microlight to fill up. But um, you know, it's cheap. Cheap the the fuel the aircraft and you're running C forty two. A microlight will run um, probably about thirty pound an hour, which which isn't too bad for for flying. Um, so so very cheap as well, which which is you know would attract a lot of young people um, living off the back of mum and dad. Or, the bank of the credit union as well, which is which is definitely a good starting point. It's definitely where I started. Um, you know, I, I'd prefer to go to my dad and ask for a hundred twenty pound, whereas I was for a while asking for eight thousand, and he sort of looked at me as if I don't think you love me anymore. But it was um, it's funny know, in this there. part how quickly you can get disowned. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, it's good. It's my my dad, as with yourself, had had you know a great or a great had a great passion for aviation. As well, he he was um, went to the URC rescue for a while, um, but after sick, basically homesick, and I'm I'm still calling him useless for because he's left me with with a patch to start. He said you could have been a helicopter pilot, and I could have followed in your footsteps, and we could have flew together. But he he pursued on with, with teaching. Um, so look at that as you will teacher or a pilot so <laughs> two completely different careers but you know as i say i'm i'm, I'm hopefully going to go on to combine both and be a pilot teacher as i say or an instructor you know at, at some point but 
it's always good to have different options, and I, I definitely live by that now, you know. Yeah, hundred percent. Like you said, different options is 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 a really good thing to to have, especially in in the aviation. Like, you get people who want to progress with it. You get people who want to just use that as a bit of fun. Um, for the moment, I I'm looking at starting to progress with it, but I, like I said, I'm do I'm doing it for a bit of crack. Um, what are your kind of what what's your timeline now for for starting to progression between giving up not so giving up having the fun, but before trading the fun in for a bit of responsibility and a bit of progression in in the microlighting sport yep well you know i'll always have the you know the weekend the weekend fun lows but there i'll never completely give it up but you know mixing fun with re- with realism you know professionalism now i'll hopefully um continue on now with my ppl on to general aviation sessions etc which which uh, i'm gonna do t- to become a ppl instructor which basically means, you know, it varies my range. Instead of just being a microlight instructor, a PPL instructor, I can, you know, it, it opens up more jobs for maybe, you know, an instructor at a flight school, etc., etc. And you can be a microlight instructor at a flight school, only um, microlight instructing isn't really a full-time job. Um, you know, it's a part-time job. One, you could definitely have fun with, but uh, I'm sort of myself, I'm looking at something full-time. So with a PPL instructor, you can instruct on both, you know, PPL, general aviation aircraft and microlights. So you're mixing both together. So hopefully um, I'll now, from a license, go on to do a bit of art. Um, you need 150 hours, I think it is now, for your instructor rating. So we'll be doing a bit of hour building. So as I say, I'll be having fun with that for another while. And then hopefully go on and do my, my instructor's rating. And um, I actually will... Oddly enough, as it sounds, I'll go and do my commercial pilot's um, license because I can actually get that. Um, and I think, I'm not too sure you might need it to be to be a PPL instructor, but I wouldn't quote me on that one. I'm not too sure. But I'm also going to want to do my NTPL exams as well, which um, are needed to be, to be, to be you know, a commercial pilot. Just to have them, you know, to, to progress my theoretical knowledge in, in aviation and stuff like that. Um, but always good to have as well because it's on it's on the record there. But uh, apart apart from that, at the minute, it's it's just have fun for a while and enjoy it while I can, you know. I'm just going back to to how to how young you are, Ethan. Um, have you got a car license? Uh, no, passed my theory test today, actually. <laughs> Congratulations! So technically, you you've got a pilot license for a car license, so you can fly a. 60 to 100 grand airplane but you can't get car insurance on a Nissan Micra exactly <laughs> uh, I actually recently bought a car I car insurance let's just say I won't say how much it was but I could have bought a decent Micra light with it so for any young person looking at car insurance uh, good luck would be would be you know, when I, I, my advice is go and buy a plane and forget about the car because you really don't need it uh, you know but and it's going to look much cooler getting into school and saying I own a plane and putting up in a, in a you know in this on micro in, in the car park and your pink hearts around it. So you know, or you can pull up in your in your new micro light. But it's up to you to say, or you can do both, which is which is what I'm doing at the minute. The bank accounts looking mm, unhealthy, let's just say. But we'll hopefully start making that back now soon. You know, if if I continue to progress and hopefully start making making money for enjoying the sport as such. You know, it's 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 it, it, it's a good kind of outlook on it there. Um, yeah. like like you said, trading trading it up, making making your your passion and fun into into something that can can make a, a healthy living wage and everything. 
Um, just going back to the to the general flight test or the, the GFT that, that you do to, to qualify the license, can you give us a rundown about what that consisted as, as, as for you? Well, it was basically um, general skills test and a microlight is basically all you've learnt all along in your lessons combined in the one. So people look at it, you know, as sort of like your driving lessons combined in your driving test, but in the sky. So um, took off from a GST. wasn't really that nervous, you know, just a bit of nerves, but it's good to be nervous uh, as they say. And basically, to just run through everything you've learned. You go up and you do stalls in the aircraft, advanced turns, uh, unusual attitudes, engine failures. Now, that all maybe to some person might seem scary, but to be honest, it's actually quite fun until it happens in real life. And then it's still fun, but just a bit more serious. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, the GST, you know, it, it, it's, it's easy enough if you know if you know what you're doing and have been practicing and. Um, uh, you know, you need to have a wee bit of the- theatrical knowledge as well about the aircraft because you do get asked a few questions on, you know, how the aircraft works, what happens if the aircraft goes on fire, what happens if the wings fall off, etc., etc. Um, and the lowest up tricky questions that you haven't revised and learned that much, um, I probably just have to pull the your way through an answer. But you get there, you know, as I say, it's all for the crack, very um, warm-hearted flying, you know, positive... You know, it, it's it's a getaway from from normality in life. You know, your day to day job or you're going to school. You know, you can get up at the weekend. Like for example, you know, tomorrow it's now Friday. Tomorrow I'll be going out with six, seven other microlites. We're going to Skillin for for breakfast. Which is great to get out. You know, in that community again, meet up. You know, we have uh, mates coming up from the house and stuff to meet up again. Um, socially distance, let me add. Um, <laughs> uh, so, you know, we'll all be meeting up, having a good chat, etc., etc. And we'd, we'd like, we'd aim to do that once a month, you know, just to keep in contact with everyone and all the, our different airfields. Um, you know, stop off at different airfields, call in for a cup of tea, etc., etc. And it's all it's all very friendly. So, um, so once you've GST passed, it's, it's a real relief to get it done. Um, and then you have to sign away half your life on your on your licenses forms, your passports, your etc., etc., I have a file going off in the morning. That's about 16 pages sick of licensing forms uh, for the CEA, um, which they'll enjoy through, and hopefully I'll have my license back uh, next week or the week after. Brilliant. Absolutely. It's, it's some achievement, like I said, at, at your age. But you, you said earlier, as well, you said, you know, it's, it's not normal for, for a 17-year-old to go, or it, it it is normality to go solo at 16 and get a license at 17, but... Um, I know myself I've done it uh, yourself has done it and we know a few other people who, who have done it but yep. you don't really talk to many people that age that have actually gone and done it so I, I don't know how like how many people outside of aviation would actually think that that is a normal procedure well you know for me a lot of my friends sort of take it with a pinch of salt you know they go you know some of them be quite impressed by it some of them just think oh you fly planes it's sort of like them you know well, I can get absolutely hammered, but you know, a lot, a lot of people say that, and a lot of you know, your friends or your mates, as I say, a lot, a lot will take an interest in it, and you get some like I have that just don't really care. But they're the types of people that if you took them flying, they'd turn around and want to be a pilot, you know. So that comes back to the whole you need to try it before you, you know, it's it's a bit like if you're buying, you know, a, a light for your garden in the shop, it says try me in the back of it, that's what it's there for, so you know, um. But definitely, you know, if if you have friends, well, if you are at this stage, you know, 16, 17, you're flying, 
and your, your friends understand that, definitely offer to take them for a flight because I can guarantee you once they once they've been for the flight that they will have a completely different view on it because um, I haven't spoken to one person that you know has been flying in the microlight and okay, you know, some of them might have been afraid, you know, just because some people are afraid of heights, some people are afraid of you know aircraft, but in a way they have enjoyed it, you know. Yeah, it, it it's quite a fun. Uh, like you said, they they have enjoyed it. It's something I think you should do. There's a bucket list of things that you should do, and it's definitely on that on that bucket list. Um, even my own other half now. Um, she was a bit bit hesitant going for Spain. We went for a circuit. She enjoyed it, and the next thing we know, we're we're, we're flying down to Goodwood for lunch. Um, so it, it it is it is there for for the enjoyment purposes, like you said. Um, I've had a few people ask me before. Uh, when I was going through it and stuff, that is it not a lot of pressure for a 17-year-old to be sat there at the controls of an aircraft being told to deal with all these emergency procedures and everything? And my, my answer was not really because it's something that, that, that you want to do or that I wanted to do at the time. Um, what was your kind of experiences with, with that when, when you had all these hoops thrown at you? Because as you say, like, it, it's still it's still flying and it's just still an aspect of you need to be able to to deal with whatever comes at you whatever goes wrong um to to make you a, a good pilot and to be safe at it as well yep well i i'd look at it as um i'd look at it um no but as i say the danger it's not danger or emergency aspect it's the bettering yourself as a pilot because you'll get the days where um it's it's fun flying it's enjoyable flying but you'll also get the days you'll go up on a, on a really bad day to fly you know on my clip maybe with your friend or you know your instructor and it'll be really bumpy and it'll be really you know you'll have to sort of nearly fight with the aircraft but that is all better skills as a pilot you know because you will maybe take off on a good day where the weather's calm fly out come back and the weather might be you know it's changed and you need to be prepared for that yeah. but again with, with the whole emergency procedures the engine failures the advanced turns that's all better as a pilot being prepared for if it does happen um but i know myself i sat there whenever we were doing it going more and more and more i was loving it you know but as you know you're probably the same yourself and different people you know um might think stalls is scary or a certain aspect is scary and they might not want to do it but even if they've done it and you know maybe haven't enjoyed it they're still battering their skills as a pilot you know and have been trained for that um but as I say, you know, okay, you could go and you could learn to fly the plane and you could learn to do a circuit in the aircraft, but that's not, you know, okay, you, you as I say, you can fly the aircraft, but are you, you know, a bettering pilot for that? You know, so I always recommend to fly in a bad day, you know, and it might sound stupid, but if you fly in a bad day, fly in, I'll enjoy it, flying on a good day is even more enjoyable, you know, um, but flying on the bad day definitely gets you used to the aircraft, gets you used to, to flying, and gets you used to a lot, especially at Tandragi, a really short runway, and um, not much room for error. Um, it, it, you know, and if you can land at Tandragi, as I say, you can land almost anywhere. Um, but then again, themselves, every short strip, which is, there's quite a lot of them in, our, in Ireland here, you know, in ourselves, we have, we have a private strip down down just outside Dungannon here, and... Um, it's great to go in and out, and you know we we have lads down for barbecues and stuff, and fly-ins and fly-outs, and you know it's it's great fun, you know, and always has been. It's uh, yeah, it's, uh, talking about Kernan, um, many people who listen to this podcast might might not know what what Kernan is. Um, I think Kernan produces some of the best pilots there are, mainly because 
Um, I know it's a little bit different now because the runway's been extended, but when I did my training in Carnan, there was one way in, one way out, and uh, no kind of no kind of room for error. You come in um, over high-tension power lines, then it was, it was uphill. It was 350 metres in length, 300 usable, and you you were you were really switched on and really good and i find now that many people if you have a short strip and you ring them up for ppr to to go into that strip if they ask if you any experience and you say you've trained at kernan they usually just say oh you're fine and put the phone down yeah well kernan it will will challenge you on the best of days and will make you a really really good pilot as you say um but a lot, a lot of people have have i caught fear of kernan in their eyes you know and that normally consists of, or not saying, not anything against your flying ability, but people that learn at a big airfield, you know, maybe Newton Arts, which is a big, a big uh, general aviation airfield here, just outside Belfast or in Enniskillen, which is at the other side in Fermanagh, um, will come to Kieran and will be very daunted by the fact that it's a short runway, it's up and downhill, you know, there's trees, um, so there's a lot to contend with. But if you fly from a small strip, you can fly in the long strip, you can fly in the small strip, you can fly in the medium-sized strip, you know. So always start small and work your way up, and that applies to aircraft, airfields, you know, anything really is start small and work your way up. Um, and then sometimes starting small teaches you to be the best pilot, you know, you could you, you yourself can be. But you can never, you know, there's, there's a fine large margin between being a good pilot and being a cocky pilot, because, you know, being a cocky pilot or that pilot, it, it, it will work for a while, but someday, you know, you might get yourself into trouble, you know. I remember to, someone saying to me, they were, they were saying, uh, it's one of the, the worst sports to have an ego in, because an ego is, is something that will, will write airplanes off and, and put you and hurt yourself, basically. Yeah, well, you know, you have to be very modest, let's say, you know, um, you only, you have limits, yourself have limits, you know, you set your limits for yourself, what you're comfortable with, and I, you know, I learned for myself um, what my limits were one day, because I, I actually listened to, to an instructor, uh, whenever we were doing a crossing to the Ainamon, and, uh, you know, I had already made the decision to divert, um, because the weather, the visibility was poor, and the instructor said to, you know, coast on out, and we ended up crossing at the Ainamon, um, from Northern Ireland here, which is only about a 30 nautical mile crossing, but we were at 900 foot over cold waters, you know, which um, was, a, was a, a game changer for me that day because I learned always make your own decisions, never follow the crowd. You know, if you're, say, you're flying in a group of four aircraft and you decide the weather isn't favourable for you and the other three aircraft go on ahead, set it out, you know, because my instructor, you know, uh, my instructor, um, Martin Conway was an absolute gentleman, a great instructor, you know. Um, he he told me a story one time of he was flying in France with, with three aircraft and he decided that the weather was too bad for him to take off and the other two aircraft went ahead. Uh, and about two hours later, the other two aircraft came back and landed him um, because they, you know, it was too uncomfortable for them. So, as I said, you know, always wait it out until you're comfortable uh, to fly. Um, and it's within your limits because that's when things will get dangerous and could potentially be, be serious injuries or fatal. You yeah. know, yeah, not 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 a good place to be. Um, not a good place to be. But majority of it all, you know, um, it's mainly you. 
you're safe and you, you go up and you, you do your bit and you get your training and everything in and um, yeah it works out really really well and by the sounds of it you've got your your head screwed on you know where you're going you know what you're doing so it's all uh it's all really really good so now thank you very much for coming on to talk to us ethan and uh helping us promote this fantastic sport of ours especially to, to the younger people because we do need yeah. more younger people into it um but yeah thank you thank you very much for that ethan and uh, i wish you all the best with what you decide to do afterwards Thanks a million, Mikey. Thank you. Have a good one.